Is it good, good, good to be alive right now? I hope you've found your alleluia. Uh, no matter where you are in life, no matter what you're looking at, no matter what's going on, we all live with that question. So you're alive now, what? What do we do with that? And it's really about finding and living our alleluia. Uh, you're either feeling it, you're hoping for it, uh, you've given up on it, or you're planning for it. But somewhere in our minds, we're thinking about that. Uh, as we've been working our way through Ecclesiastes, King Solomon's personal God-inspired journal, um, he thought he had found his alleluias. He thought he had found them. And if anyone could sing, it's good, good, good to be alive right now, it would have been him. Uh, just listen to a little bit of the background of what was going on in King Solomon's life. When the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon in his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Solomon answered all her, all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the Queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built the food on his table, the setting of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. Life was good for Solomon. So it seemed. He had found all his alleluias. It goes on. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be, how happy your officials must be, who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Dropping down a few more verses. The weight of gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. That's 25 tons. I don't know really what that means, but that's a lot. Not including the revenues from the merchants and traders from all the Arabian kings and the governors of the territories. All the king Solomon's goblets were gold and all the household articles, um, articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's day. He even had a hundred or three, 700 wives 
of royal birth and 300 concubines. Thousand. Wow. But yet, this is what he says as he starts off Ecclesiastes, and we've read this. So here's a guy who is living large, unbelievably, richest man on the planet, and all the toys and all the things that go along with that. But this is what he writes towards the end of his life, and it's a warning to you and I. Because he leaned into some alleluias that really weren't alleluias. This is what he says. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. There's not too much. He had not seen everything. He had everything. And what's amazing is he says this. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. You see, all his alleluias, all his living large, it's not me talking, it's Solomon talking, he had everything, fell short. It was meaningless. Uh, some of your translations say vanity. We talked as we got started at the idea of uh, a vapor, a cloud, and, and you see a cloud, especially if you're on a plane, you see a cloud and you go up through the clouds and down through the clouds, but when you're looking down on them, they look solid. But that plane just cuts right through those clouds. Can't hold anything. Solomon's saying, all these things I've experienced, chasing after the wind, meaninglessly, they don't hold my life. In the beginning, he thought they would hold his life. He went after them. And then as he gets into his older age, he sees them, in a sense, just drive away into the distance. All the joy, all the best days of his life, and it seemingly just evaporated. Uh, he reminds me of this uh, college graduate. A blindfold mom, really? Is this necessary? Happy graduation, sweetie! I can't believe you got me this car! Amazing! Status update. Calling grandma. grandma. Should we tell him that? No, no, let him tire out first. Jogger! Check out my sweet ride! How can you jog when you can drive? <laughs> Not yet, he's losing steam. <laughs> Just let him ride its course. I'm marrying you right now! So marrying you right now! We're getting married! This is the best day of my life! <laughs> hey, Steve. Best gift ever! Love the car. Johnson just stole my car. <laughs> and in a sense, that's what happened to Solomon. Best day ever. Best thing you could think of. And it just drove away. Yet, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there is hope because he talks about living well under the sun. And the one thing that he didn't have that we have going for us today is we can live well under the sun with the risen sun. We can have a connection to God that Solomon himself didn't have. Describing Christ's birth, describing Christ making peace with us, offering himself to us so we can have a relationship with God 
It's written that the Old Testament prophets dreamed and wished for the day that you and I have. Because you and I can live well under the sun with the sun. Solomon gives a little hint to this. What are we supposed to do with our lives? Because there are good days and bad days. Sometimes there's more bad days than good. But in Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 20, we start to see that Solomon says there is hope, there is another way. And you and I can experience that. You see, we're alive now, what? We, we, can, we can live a certain way, we can experience a certain way, even with the bad days and the good days. It, it, it doesn't have to be all hard days. And this is what he says. He says, here's what I've decided is the best way to live. Take care of yourself. And at first that might seem a little self-serving, but, but we are physical human beings and we do need to take care of ourselves, not at the expense of everybody else in our life, but we need to take care of ourselves. We need to take good cares of our bodies. We need to take care of our mind. We need to be thinking people, thinking Christ followers. Um, have a good time. Uh, it's great to have a good time. And make the most of whatever job you have. And really that word job, as we talked about earlier on, is this idea is uh, what you do, what your life is about, your job, your duties, for as long as God gives you life. And that's about it. That's the human lot. Yes, we should make the most of what God gives, both the bounty and capacity to enjoy it. God delights when you and I enjoy what he's given us. He doesn't want us to look at that as the center of our lives, but he does want us to enjoy it. We've talked about this a number of times. Uh, we don't worship the gift. We worship the gift giver. That's who has our allegiance, but he wants us to enjoy the things he lets into our lives. And some of us uh, have the same relationship with our kids. We, we do nice things for them. We give them something, and we want them to enjoy it. And he gives us the capacity to enjoy it, accepting what's given and delighting in the work. It's God's gift. God deals out joy in the presence, the now. And we've talked about this in previous weeks, how sometimes we're always looking for the future or we're looking to the past, but God gives us the now. He wants us to enjoy the now. There's some nows we want to move through quickly. I get that. I understand that. But sometimes we don't stop and smell the roses. We don't stop and enjoy the sweet little moments. And he gives us the capacity to do that when we've said yes to him, when he's a part of our lives, and he wants us to enjoy the presence, enjoy the now. Two weeks ago when we started looking at this, we saw that uh, happiness, happiness by itself, seems to be very elusive. It's, it's hard to hold on to. It's, it's hard, and there's reasons for that. In the part one of this two weeks ago, uh, you can catch up, as Eric already said, by going online or stopping off by guest services and getting a CD. But the idea is that, is that it can be really elusive to us. And uh, we all have those things that, uh, in a sense, uh, bring us joy, and God gives us the capacity to do that. 
We all have that sweet spot. We all have that, that happy thought, that happy place. And, and all of us are wired differently. But when those come to us, when we're connected with God, he gives us the capacity to enjoy them, to celebrate them, not to over-enjoy them, over-celebrate them, to balance. But he offers that to us. Now, when I was growing up with, as a kid, there used to be this commercial on, and, and I didn't really understand it. Um, you'll figure it out why in a second. Tell you, commercials were so lame back in the 70s, 80s. Some of you remember those. And I remember as a kid discovering my mother's Calgon, what are they called? Ultra moisturizing bath beads. And you know, they actually look like candy. That's another story. But they do look like candy, so don't make that mistake. But that's another story. And that, in a sense, was her happy place. I can never remember her actually going, you know, disappearing for hours. But, but she had them. I remember discovering them one time. And she wanted to go to her happy place. And likewise, you and I have the opportunity, the capacity, through God, to enjoy those times. Now, if, if Calgon, take me away, isn't your thing, this might be your thing. The key is to find your happy place. How will you get to your happy place? I'm ripping through curves. Your time's not up yet. Where are you going? My happy place. And how was I supposed to know my mother-in-law is sensitive about her weight? It's okay. Just close your eyes and go to your happy place. happy place is, you have one. And God gives us the capacity to enjoy our happy place. Now, in my life, I do like cars. I don't think I like that car too much. But uh, I like cars, and I like Doritos, but Doritos and car do not mix in my life. Never bring Doritos into my car. You, those of you who know me know why. But happiness can be so elusive, so elusive. And one of the reasons, seriously, that happiness can be so elusive is we've got to, in a sense, watch out for happiness killers. These are the things that suck us dry. These are the things that steal our happiness. God gives us the capacity to have a happy place, have happy thoughts, whatever you want to say, that kind of refresh us. But there are definitely happiness killers. And one of them is the myth of the greener grass. This idea that we see over there and it looks greener over there, and if we just had this, had that, then happiness would be ours. But as we read from Solomon, he said, the presence, the now. And if you live your life always wishing for the next day, the next week, the next achievement, the next job, the next purchase, you're going to find that that next purchase, that next job, that next whatever, that next relationship will not buy you the happiness you're thinking it's going to buy you. We have to watch out for these killers. And uh, Solomon writes in verse 10, he says this, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. And you could put anything in there, whoever loves whatever, 
And you'd find this is true whenever we're going after those things and we think that that is going to be the center of our lives, that, that we find that it's meaningless, that it's empty, that it doesn't support life. Someone drives our car, our item, right out of our life, and we're left with the worst day ever. So we have to understand that, that the greener grass concept, we got to watch out for that because that will kill happiness all the time. Some of us can remember when we were in a moment in time, and now that we look back at it, that was a greener grass moment. But we wished for the next moment, and we missed the present moment. And now if we could go back, we would want to go back to that moment. But time keeps marching on. Same concept in Proverbs, written by Ecclesiastes, uh, written by Solomon in his midlife. He says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they surely will sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. The idea of wearing yourself out, they're gone, and, and we can get caught up in all of this kind of thing, because the grass is greener if we just had this, did this, or whatever. And that will kill our happiness every single time. Paul writes to the Galatians, he says this, make a careful exploration of who you are. Know yourself. Know yourself. Be okay with yourself. Be good with yourself. And the work you've been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. So if you're really good at whatever you're sinking yourself into, don't get a big head. Don't go, wow, I'm the, the hottest stuff out there. Don't do that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Know yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. You see, when we have this greener grass and we wish we were somebody else, it just never holds up. It always drives off. And, and even when we find ourselves, find ourselves getting there, we find that it doesn't last. It, it goes away. And Solomon's trying to warn us that, again, he had everything. And in the twilight of his years, he said, I had everything. But it was empty. It ended up being meaningless. Because of my connectivity with God wasn't what it ought to be. All those things were what I weight, put the weight of my life in. And I discovered that they were just a puffy cloud. And they wouldn't hold me up. Another thought is that we get our happiness killed in our lives when we have unrealistic goals and dreams. In Proverbs, Solomon again writes, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And this doesn't mean that you just settle. This doesn't mean that you don't try to grow yourself. But, but it's this idea of having unrealistic goals and dreams. Hope, you could use another word, you could say hope frustrated. When you live in a place where your hope is just always frustrated, it makes your heart sick. It kills happiness in your life life. So you have to ask yourselves, are my dreams, my hopes realistic? Are they, are, they, are they good goals? Are they aligned with God's goals for myself? It goes back to knowing yourself. 
You have to have a little reflection. You can't just go along with, with the culture and, and let them set your dreams for yourself. You can't go even along with other Christ followers that you may say are solid Christ followers. Their dream, their thing may be their thing, but it may not be yours. You need to understand that. Also, killing happiness takes place when we're surrounded by toxic people and things. Toxic people and things. In Titus, we read this. It says, talk once or twice to a person who tries to divide people into groups against each other. If he does not stop, have nothing to do with him. And that may sound a little strong, but when there's someone who's toxic, I'm not saying difficult, I'm not saying challenging, but toxic, always disagreeable. We're told... You don't write that person off. Remember, they're made in the image of God. They have value. But you don't have to live right up in their face. You don't have to let yourself be exposed to that toxicness all the time. Let them back off. Stay away from them. And you have to ask yourself, I have to ask myself every once do I ever become that toxic person? Do I ever become a poisonous person? And, it, and hopefully it's not all the time, but maybe in a conversation, am I being toxic? Am I actually dividing people into groups? And again, this is not allowing for things that are improper. This is not uh, winking at sin, disobedience to God. Th this is uh, division. This is just, just divisive um, people that are just disagreeable all the time. You don't have to put yourself in that all the time because it steals your joy. I've shared this with you before. I have, I have some friends that fill my joy tank. And, and hopefully you have a couple of those people. Hopefully I do the same for them. But every once in a while when I feel the joy getting sucked out of my life, I call up one of these buddies of mine, and I just talk with him. And we just laugh on the phone, and I get off the phone, and boy, I feel completely different. Sometimes when you get exposed to that toxic person, you got to pull back. And then you call the person that charges your battery. Just being aware of this, your, your joy, your happiness gets killed when you're around toxic people and toxic things. You say, what's a toxic thing? I, I think they're the things that you allow into your life that you allow to, in a sense, define you. Uh, life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. And when you and I let ourselves be defined by what we have, whether we have a lot or a little, and, it, and it, it doesn't matter if you have a lot or a little, it seems that there are people out there, myself included, that can be defined by our things. And then those things are no longer a blessing. They're toxic. Because now I'm saying my value is connected to this thing, this item. Maybe this position, whatever it is. And that's toxic for your soul. Uh, that, that's toxic for your life. That kills happiness. And Solomon lived that. Solomon built these temp this big, huge temple. I tried to find a picture online of how someone thought it looked, and I, and I really couldn't find one that gave it uh, justice. This was unbelievable. And then he had lots of palaces. Then he built all these other things. And, and he... Got his identity too much from those things. And it created a toxicity to his life. He found that all that stuff was meaningless. He couldn't lean or rest his life on the value of those clouds. They wouldn't hold him up, even though they were unbelievable architectural things. Also, 
comes right from him. Everything without enjoyment. There is this idea, and maybe this is a bold statement. If you're not a Christ follower, if you're just trying to figure out what that means to you, you may, you may take offense at this, and I'm sorry about that. But, but it seems that, that, that Solomon is saying that God enabled him to enjoy things or not to enjoy things. There was this capacity. So you can actually have somebody that has it all but doesn't have the same enjoyment. There's something missing there. We read in verses 1 through 6, I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them. And strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. And I think Solomon, as he's looking at his life and he knows that he's a, a short-timer, realizes as he built this kingdom up, it's so successful, uh, hardly any political uprest. It's just, everything's just clicking and it's just wonderful. He's heard the explanation, uh, silver was just like stones, commonplace. And he realized he was turning all of this over and he really hadn't enjoyed it. And he didn't know if his son was going to enjoy it. You see, everything without enjoyment. And sometimes you and I meet someone like that seems to have everything. We're a little jealous of their everything. But there's no enjoyment. There's some idea that God takes what we have, whether it's a little or whether it's a lot, and lets us enjoy it. In verses 3 through 6, a man may have a hundred children, ooh, that's scary, and live many years, yet, not, yet not, no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive a proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning. It departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does the man, even if he lives a thousand years twice over but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place. This idea that God can allow you to take a proper or have a proper uh, relationship to the good things in your life so you can enjoy them. Is, is, is fantastic. And sometimes you and I have to come to terms with that. God gives us all these things in our life and how we interact with them. He gives us the capacity to enjoy them in a proper way so they really do give us some happiness. Uh, Warren Wearsby says this, Enjoyment without God is merely entertainment and it doesn't satisfy. But enjoyment with God is enrichment. And it brings a true joy and satisfaction. And again, that may be up to debate for some of you, and that, that's okay. You may still be wrestling with that. But I've definitely found that to be true in my life, that uh, without God, it's just entertainment. It's short-lived. It's, sometimes we talk about the difference between happiness and joy. Happy, quick. Joy is lasting. But this idea that uh, God enables us, enriches us, and brings true joy and satisfaction. Going along with these ideas is this concept of full but empty. In verse uh, 7 we read this, we work to feed our appetites, meanwhile our souls go empty. 
met some folks. Solomon's one of them. He, he, he fed his appetites, and his soul went empty. And it wasn't until his, let's say, 70s and 80s that all of a sudden it dawned on him how empty his soul was. What a sadness. It doesn't have to be that way. No matter how old you are, you can start going in a different direction. You don't have to feed your appetites and find out that there's no happiness, that, the, that your soul goes hungry. Because when it all shakes out, it really is the filling of your soul that brings you that happiness. And our appetites, whether well-fed, don't, don't last. They're like that car driving off with the neighbor at the wheel. Isaiah says it this way, Why do you spend your money on junk food, your hard-earned cash on cotton candy? Listen to me. Listen well. Eat only the best. Fill yourself with only the finest. Pay attention. Come close now. Listen carefully to my life. Life nourishing words. And often we spend a lot of our energy, a lot of our resources, a lot of our time on junk food, cotton candy, rather than that which will really satisfy life-nourishing words. Solomon goes on to say, What advantage have the wise over the foolish? Why do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? And this idea, again, is if you're, you're filling yourself up with just knowledge, the wise over the fool, if it's not tied into the capacity that God gives, it's just meaningless. So, so what do we do? How do we, how do we switch gears? How do we go from less exposure to happiness killing things in our life? You're never going to be able to write that totally off. You're always going to be exposed to it. But, but how do we diminish the happiness killers in the life? How do we, how do we watch out for them? Paul writes to the Philippines, uh, the Philippines, yeah, the Philippians, and says this, Whatever I have, whatever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. I can make it through anything. I can make it through the hard times, and I can even make it through the good times without, in a sense, emptying out my soul. I hate this about myself. When times are sweet and good, I don't seem to lean on God the way I should. I don't know why. I, I'm like, in the last, in the last couple months, in my, in my personal little thought for the day, I, I actually wrote that, Lord, help me to be able to lean into you and have the capacity to enjoy things when things are good, not just look to you when I feel like I'm on slippery footing. Why can't I lean into you and celebrate you and, and in a sense, embrace you when things are great? Does it always have to be when I think the bottom's falling out of something, through anything, the good and the bad? Because he's the one who makes me who I am. And that idea or that phrase is not just in a moment. It's, a, it's an ongoing process. Who is making me? So we can dismiss happiness killers in our life. 
when we turn and embrace and look to a growing relationship with God. One that never arrives at a plateau, but continues on as he continues to make us in who he wants us to be as we embrace that. So how do we do that? First thing is we, we learn to be content. I always get nervous when I say learn to be content because I think that gives some of us sometimes permission to slack off. Not talking about slacking off. Not talking about living sloppy lives. I'm not talking about not, not being all you can be, but being content in the moment. And it's a tension. There's some of us who like to slack off a little bit more. There's some of us who are driven. Neither's right nor wrong. There's this balance navigating through. And I'll tell you, the only way I can keep that balance is by keeping close to God. Because when I'm not close to Him, then my automatic response to that takes over. And uh, it's not that I'm totally sloppy or totally driven, but there are definitely things that I get sloppy about, and there's definitely things I get driven about. And so he helps keep us balanced. Verse 9 says, Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This, too, is meaningless a chasing after the wind. The idea of being contentment, what you see in front of you, what, what's in front of you, enjoying the moments, being content in that, not rushing the trip. It's real hard for me when I'm driving someplace. Like last uh, Sunday we were down, or Saturday in the weekend we were down for Mariah's graduation from Nyack, and, and we need to get back Sunday afternoon and, uh, you know, I was up early, but departure time was 8 o'clock. But I was, I was ready to go. I was ready to go. I was ready to wolf down my coffee. Ready to, I just what, didn't want to sit still. I, I, I could have even just said to my parents, because they were with us, uh, call me on the road, and I'll say goodbye to you then, because I just want to get going. <laughs> Rather than enjoying what was in front of me. I needed to be in the car at 8. I didn't need to be in the car at 5 of 8, 7.30, 7 o'clock, but I wanted to go. I'm rallying the girls. we got to get moving. Learning to be content in the moments, not always wishing for the next thing and missing the current thing. Watching that appetite. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me. In a sense, that's the happy place that everything lives out of. That's the happy thought. And when you and I can own that as reality in our life, we can travel in that direction. When that's our bearing, when that's our north star of our lives, we can find that we have a happiness that's not elusive. It doesn't mean we do it perfectly, but there can be more happy days than not happy. And when you and I have this happy thought in our mind and we, and, it, and we digest it and we make it a regular kind of uh, operating system of our lives, that's the happy thought that keeps us flying. And when I think of happy thoughts, I have to think of Peter Pan. I got it. I got it. I found it. <laughs> wow.
lost it. needed a little bit of that last week. No. <laughs> when you have that happy thought that Christ will see you through, that Christ is making you into who you are, you soar. And what I liked about that clip even more than Peter Pan soaring was the way it touched the lost boys. It wasn't soaring just for Peter Pan. It was soaring for the lost boys. They, they, they were overwhelmed with, with, with him being back. And when you and I learn to dismiss the happiness killers in our life, when we understand that it's in Christ that we get our strength, and we navigate life that way, not only do we soar, but we bring those along with us. So if there's any other motivation, whether you want to be a sourpuss, <laughs> whether I want to be a grumpy old man, that's one thing. But what about those around me? Do I want to touch those people in a dramatic way? The moment you doubt whether you can fly, you cease forever to be able to do it. So come with me where dreams are born and time is never planned. Just think of happy things and your heart will fly on wings forever in Never Never Land. That's a kid's story with an adult message. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I've got to ask you, is that your happy thought? If it isn't your happy thought, your happiness is going to drive away with Mr. Johnson every time. Every time. A part of that goes accepting your potential, Accepting your potential, and with accepting your potential also includes your limits. 
some of us haven't accepted our limits. There are certain things I can't pull off, and it can frustrate me. Stop that I'm being sloppy. There are certain things that I'm just not wired to do or be, and that's okay. Yet at the same time, there are things that I'm wired to do and be, and I better, I better accept that potential. Whatever exists has always been named, and what humanity is has been known. No one can contend with someone who is stronger. And the idea of who you are, uh, can you hold on to that? Do you accept your potential and your limits and then function with that happy thought of Christ in me and Christ through me? In Corinthians, we read this. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. Some of us wrestle with the assignment because we really don't know the Lord well enough to know if he's assigned us that. How can this be? This isn't, but, but maybe he's assigned that to us. And when we understand that, we accept we embrace our potential, and we understand that God has called us. Also, living at peace with others, it goes on with the idea of a toxic person. In verse 11, we read, the more words, the less meaning, and how does that profit anybody? Sometimes uh, peace with others means no words. <laughs> we all have those people in our lives that say too much, and it doesn't help at all. Sometimes they just need to be present. Uh, we need to own peace. We need to point to peace. We need to be peacemakers, not always upsetting the apple cart. That doesn't mean we become yes people, but it means that uh, we want peace. We want coming together. Paul writes to the Romans, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I tell you, there were definitely times growing up when uh, peace was dependent upon me and what I said and didn't say to my brother or sister. I told you this before, that when I really wanted to push my sister's buttons, I would tell her how much I loved her. And then I would tell her she was the best sister on the planet. And she would go ballistic because my body language said, I don't love you and you're definitely not the best sister on the planet. But I would say it in such a way that it depended on me. All of us are in situations where we either can bring peace or we can make a point and destroy peace. And again, that doesn't mean you settle for things, bad behavior and all those kinds of things, but you know the comments that make it peaceful or disrupt peace. And that depends on you. And you may think, you're you may think well, what's the big deal? It's, I'm just upsetting their apple cart. But according to the way God works things out, when you're upsetting somebody else's apple cart, somehow it, it comes back and upsets your apple cart. Somehow uh, that happiness is, is evaporates from our own life. Also, pretty under, simple to understand, making the most of every day. Verse 12 says, for, they, for who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow? Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they are gone? And that after they are gone reminds us that life is short. So make every 
and make the most of every day, every moment. Paul writes about the same thing when he says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And evil is not like they're bad days, but evil means that they're short days. They're lessening. When you and I get to the place where our happiness is based on the idea that Christ is working in us, then we need to come to terms with this again, this grass is greener on the other side, and we realize that maybe it's time to start watering and fertilizing our own yard, our own life. When the grass seems greener on the other side, it's time to water and fertilize your own yard. And those things that diminish the happiness killers in our lives help water and fertilize our own yard. Bottom line is this, and it was from the same bottom line from two weeks ago. Happiness is not having what you want, but enjoying what you have. And maybe, maybe it should be start off with saying, enjoying who you have. Because if you're a Christ follower, you have God as a part of your life. That begins with admitting you've been out of step with God. If you don't have God in your life, if you've never said yes to it, it begins with admitting that you need him in your life. And you've been out of step with him because something called sin, disobedience. It also involves believing that Jesus Christ died and rose again and accepting his forgiveness for our sins. It also involves choosing to invite Christ into your life as the one you are going to follow, a life of loving God and others. If you have questions about this, you can actually go online or you can pick up one of these. We have these little pamphlets around. There's some at guest services. There's some up here. Also, you can go online and you can go to Knowing God and click on that, and you'll see there's a little thing where you can scroll through. Uh, We also have a book called How Good is Good Enough, and uh, you can take a look at this. You can grab this. It's an easy read, 70 pages. Take you maybe an hour to read that. And uh, you can start that relationship with God and know who you have. Also, there's this idea for the rest of us, those who have said yes, we need to always be thinking about what is our next step. Uh, what is our next step? Where am I and where do I want to be? What does that next step look for me? It's not to earn more of God's love, but it's to continue to grow in our relationship with him. And there's lots of ways you have on that Connect card uh, listed to, to think about. There's also something we're, we offer every once in a while called What's Next, Next, and it just talks about what next steps you might be able to take as you get plugged into the church. So again, the bottom line is this. Happiness is not having what you want, but enjoying what you have or who you have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for the example not a very good example at times, that Solomon gives us. We thank you for his honesty. We thank you that he doesn't kind of try to uh, paint over the fact that uh, at the end of his life, he realized a lot of his living was meaningless. His happiness drove away. And Father, you're giving us the opportunity to first know you and to see our center in you so that our happiness doesn't drive away, so we know where to place the weight of our life, the focus of our life, and we thank you for that. Lord, I just ask no matter where anyone is at today that we would all be open to the possibilities of taking a next step with you. 
We're thankful how life can grow and develop when we do that. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.